College, the gateway to the American dream. With a college education, socioeconomic stability can be secured. But recent trends in higher education have caused many to rethink that common assumption. With the higher enrollment of past generations, colleges and universities have followed suit, pouring millions of dollars into not only more respected faculty, but better residence halls, top-of-the-line facilities, and extravagant amenities. With that rise in supposed quality of education has come a nearly astronomical rise in tuition rates and an increase in fees. All this has made prospective college students wonder if college is really worth it. Christian colleges and universities are not immune to these changes either, and many have been forced to try and keep up with their secular counterparts. And Christians seeking a college education are asking the same question. Is it worth it? In the milieu of options in the world of higher education, what makes Christian higher education stand out? What does it mean to get an education from a quote-unquote Christian worldview? Are there legitimate reasons to attend a private Christian institution over an oftentimes more affordable public option? Is it time to reconsider what a university does? All that and more on this edition of Questions from the View. the intersection of faith and culture. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Here, no inquiry is off limits. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues, but no longer. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalametta. I'm Lucas Manning. Hey, here we are. Yeah. I hope you're doing well, Luke. Oh yeah, doing great. Just enjoying another slog of a month through the COVID-19 quarantine (laughs) but yeah doing well yeah good 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 well today we're talking about Christian higher education Mm. yeah I mean that's I mean that might be something that we're most qualified to talk about (laughs) I don't know (laughs) yeah for those of you who don't know we we are admissions counselors for for a Christian college (laughs) yeah and we both currently attend grad school at some sort of christian higher education institution um yeah so we are in it (laughs) we are in the thick of it (laughs) it's deeply personal (laughs) no but yeah yeah. and i think it's appropriate too given the fact that um that school is starting in a few weeks Mm. it's some form of school yo i have my own thoughts about that it just should be interesting (laughs) hopefully everyone is fine (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> anyway. A word that's been thrown around recently. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. Just, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's a good place to start then, right? Mm. So what is the present state of higher education? Mm. Mm. Um, and I, I'm, I guess I'm not <laughs> talking specifically about just this past year. Right, right, right. But, uh, but there has been a trend, right, of right. Um, in in higher education, not just Christian higher education, but higher education broadly. Mm. Um, there's been a trend over the past uh, maybe a decade or two. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I know. Uh, so I came out of high school in 2012, and that's when things were kind of at their peak um, as far as, like, students coming out of high school, just the number of students coming out of high school in the United States. My interest rates on my student loans were sky high. Maybe that's a little too personal, but let's be honest. <laughs> there was just a lot of demand. Uh, and yeah, over the, the last decade or so, so even like Forbes has come out just like with a study. And uh, yeah, it, there were 20 million students like new, or sorry, sorry, no, no, not new. There were 20 million enrolled uh, students in just higher education institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's down to 18 million now in in 2019 um obviously we don't know 2020 yet but in the 2019 academic year it's been essentially steadily declining over over the last nine years um and yeah it's kind of hit a a historic low which is 
Yeah, I guess mind-boggling, but it's not. I guess to me, it's not that surprising. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely wild. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, obviously, Christian higher education is uh, is a microcosm of the um, the larger world of, of right. higher education. Right. So we're obviously not immune to that, because mm. most Christian colleges are already um, meet like medium size to to small campuses to begin with. Right. Um, so. I, so if anything, I think that they feel those um, yeah the hits those even more changes more yeah yeah exactly yeah and obviously yeah there are a lot of different factors um, that that go into that drop in enrollment and obviously the pandemic that's that'll be really interesting to see how that trend shapes out. Mm. Um, in the in the coming years right right obviously we'll see the ripple effects of of how we approach education in the Mm. next few years right well i mean i think i mean we're gonna get to this but i think you know when you see an industry declining i mean i guess what that points to i think is just a lack of societal interest you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like uh, something has essentially to the common person the value of that industry is at least at least in decline um so which is mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's just interesting like the essentially where the money goes shows you what the you know what the consumer wants in our yeah. structure and it yeah. seems like less and less people want a college education or are able to access one right yeah there was a um a survey that was conducted yeah so the evangelical leaders survey in 2000 2016 conducted a survey and basically they asked um, evangelical leaders pastors ministry leaders that sort of uh, that sort of group would you encourage young people to attend a Christian college over a state school even if it meant graduating with more debt um, quite the question surprise- <laughs> yeah yeah uh, surprisingly 35 percent of evangelical leaders said yes 57.5 percent said maybe <laughs> and only 7.5% said no. Yeah, that's wild. So that's fascinating to me that um, obviously higher education, a college education is still a value. Right, right. Um, but yeah, particularly a Christian college or a Christian university is, um, I mean, a, a, a decent number of pastors think it's should be uh it should be valued over uh, um, a cheaper option I'll right. put it that way i mean to be fair that's like it's like asking the music teacher if i should go to school for music you know what i mean a little bit so it's like of course like a little bit of course evangelical leaders are going to say yeah you should you should go but i mean it does point to uh i guess some like implications for the values that we hold just at even mm-hmm. as a the broader Christian evangelical mm-hmm. community in America. Yeah. I think I, I don't know the details of, of that survey actually. Um, but I would assume, I would assume that, um, that's Christian colleges broadly, not necessarily just ministry training right. schools, like liberal arts, or Bible colleges. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. But that's still, fair. yeah. So there's obviously a draw right. <laughs> to, to Christian colleges. Um, I think, um, to a, a lesser degree, one of those things is tuition, because depending on the school that you do choose, and again, like I said, Christian colleges can either be, most of them, I think, are mid to small campuses, right. mid-sized to small campuses. A few campuses are, are fairly large, right. um, but the majority of them are smaller campuses. So depending on the school, you may pay less than than state schools, depending on a lot of factors like donations from donors, right, scholarships, especially if it's stuff. yeah, especially if it's from a uh, like a denominational school right. connected with a, a very well funded large nomination. Um, then usually there's a lot of funding that goes towards those denominations schools, right. um, and so sometimes I think uh, it's it you can pay less for for that education. Right. So that could be a draw. But I mean that one's that one's just situational, you know what I mean? I'm, right. Yeah, not sure if it yeah. usually is that. Yeah, I think the that the primary reason is the this idea of a safe 
environment, or what I like to call essentially a church away from church. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's I think that's what how a lot of people look at a Christian right. school. Because mm. um, if you don't know, a lot of Christian schools make you go to chapel. Mm. Um, and that's usually at least half, like it, it takes place at least, what, three, four yeah. days out of the week. Yeah, if usually. not, some I know some schools have chapel every day. Right. Well, and too, it's just like a lot of those schools, like they don't have, like they have alcohol-free campuses and like, a lot of like the, I guess like the party aspect of college is like lessened at Christian liberal, like Christian liberal arts schools. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, I guess that's yeah part of like that safe environment. Yeah. Which I guess to me, yeah. oh go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it just seems like isolationist, isolationistic. I don't know if that's a word, but now it is. Where it's like, hey, like we got to keep to ourselves cause like the world out there, like you can't take your faith out there cause they will, you know, I don't know. You know, those stories of like, you go to the secular college and the <laughs> professor just destroys your faith. And it's like, yo, if your if your faith can be destroyed by like an intellectual argument, then I guess to me, I don't, I don't know. Mine isn't built on intellectual soundness, <laughs> mostly because no worldview is built on intellectual soundness, but that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, too deep. <laughs> yeah, too deep, too deep. But yeah, so, um, yeah, and I think that's just like the yeah. keep them in the faith, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, Lifeway did a survey in 2017. They surveyed 2,002 young adults. That's an interesting number. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or I think that was a sample of the number of people they surveyed and this was the results but 2002 young adults ages 23 to 30 years old Uh um and these are people who attended a protestant church regularly um and regularly they define at least two two months two or more months for at least one year during high school so young people who are clearly committed to church and such right Sorry, two two or more times a month is what I meant to okay. say for yeah. at least one year during high school. Right. Um, and 66% of those young adults that they surveyed said that they stopped attending church regularly between the ages of 18 through 22. So, like, essentially the college years, the, yeah. the years you would normally spend um, uh, away from your church uh, at, um, on campus. Right. Interestingly enough, the top reason that they gave at at 34%, they they were given a list of options, and 34% of them um, said that it was because, uh, quote, I moved to college and stopped attending church Mm. as one of the reasons why. And then the second highest at 32% was that church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. So I think there is a a fear there looking at those stats um, you know, Christian leaders, pastors, youth pastors in yeah. particular. I think there is a fear that when they hit college, um, there there will be a significant drop. And I remember hearing that growing up. Hmm. Um, you know, make sure your your faith is grounded while you're you're in youth group in high school because when you go to college, the world's going to be attacking you. Right. And a lot of attacking your a faith lot of youth. And... Yeah, a lot of youth fall away from the church. So. I think a school with Christian values is one of those ways that a church uses to to keep kids from falling away when they move right. away from the church. So I think that's where the draw to um, to encouraging students to pursue a Christian higher education, even if it means incurring more debt. Hmm. Um, I think that they see that as a as more beneficial in the long run, and I think that's, that that statistic is is one of those reasons why. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting because I guess to me, what I it seems like that's like a defensive thing from the church. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, we got to send mm-hmm. you to a Christian college. That way you like stay in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then it's like, like clearly the reasons that are given to quote Q Nellum, our board board member on World Outspoken, uh, is it doesn't like scratch the itch. Like clearly, like I moved to college and stopped attending church is not a reason. That's just a fact. <laughs> You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, that's not an actual reason. 
I mean, you can still move to college and attend a church, but it's just like a fact because clearly they like weren't, it wasn't doing it for them. You know what I mean? And then obviously the the second one is a reason and them being judgmental. Like that's fair. That's like an actual reason. But well, I think there's a shift in, um, in the locus of discipleship. So in in youth group, the church was the center of discipleship, Mm. but with the independence gained in college, I think church leaders are trying to find some means of discipling. And I think that the, the Christian college or the Christian university mm. is like they maybe dump the it primary off. way yeah. they, they see that students can still get discipled. Right. Cause they are kind of engrossed. Uh, they're, they're saturated in that environment. Right. Which I guess, I mean, that kind of, I guess that asks the question of like, one, are we expecting schools to do what the church should be doing? Um, and then I guess like what, like if we want the Christian college to like shape a Christian worldview, I don't know. I guess I, I feel like that we also need to look at what our Christian worldview is informed by, which I would say a lot of times is like cultural, like cultural concerns. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so you'll go to Christian, let's say you go to a Christian liberal arts school and you, let's not even say you don't even study like ministry or anything like that. You get in like mm-hmm. basic Bible courses, basic theology courses. They're going to teach you, you know, depending on the leaning of the school, you know, the five points of Calvinism or the five points of Armenianism, which are just for the listeners who don't know, you're probably better off not knowing. <laughs> but basically they're just lofty theological concepts. Um, you know, in important discussions, I suppose. Um, but like the fact that that's like what we teach when we teach like some sort of Christian education, like I just, I don't know if that's doing it for Hmm. like this generation and like this time, like those are, it's interesting to know that like, that's like what the church has come up with and has believed. And it's, it's helpful uh, Mm -hmm. in the sense of like remembering our history, but I don't know if it's necessarily helpful with like giving, I don't know, I guess giving the young person, like a Christian ethos and I guess like, yeah, a Christian life that's like engages with the world and is like abundant, not defensive, but like, I don't know, engaging, I guess it's a bad word. It's a buzzword. Everyone uses engaging, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So would you count that as a legitimate reason then to attend a Christian college to, to shape a Christian worldview? I guess we would need to define (laughs) <laughs> what uh what we that's mean fair. or maybe yeah. what colleges mean right by a christian worldview well i guess that's what i'm saying is sometimes christian worldview i think it's like an old concept of christian worldview sometimes that i like i think it's important to know some of these like theological concepts that we learn at christian colleges but i don't know i, I think i mean i think what we're getting at is like perhaps there's a better way to i guess like disseminate a christian way of thinking in the 21st century you know what i mean and a christian way right. of, of being i guess not even thinking but being and living and loving and that kind of thing yeah i think for the longest time christian colleges purporting a christian an education from a christian worldview have basically taken a, a normal secular um liberal arts education and kind of like you mentioned earlier just throwing a, a smattering of bible and theology courses right um, and, uh, and, and that's what they, that they think, that's what they think a Christian, um, education from a Christian worldview looks like. Whereas I think you're just throwing a bunch of ingredients mm. in a, in the same bucket, Yeah. but you're really not incorporating them. They're right. still very, it's like, it's like putting oil and water mm. in, in a, uh, in the same cup. Right. They're right. not really mixing and so when when students come out of a christian college there's no real synthesis there right for a lot of them it's still those two worlds are still separate even though they attended a christian college right yeah yeah totally i mean i think that's a good place to maybe take a break and chew on it for a second
hone in a little bit more and um, and talk a little bit more about what it means to have an education from a Christian worldview. Yeah, I think that any Christian worldview is very much so informed by certain cultural values. Um, so obviously these Christian institutions were set up in a certain cultural environment, that being the white American church for the most part. I mean, there are some that are not, but, you know, most. I mean, certainly the institutions that we've attended um, and pretty much, yeah, pretty much all of them that I'm familiar with. Um, so obviously there's going to be some there's going to be some like cultural bias in even the issues that are talked about in, in classes and what, you know, for instance, uh, you know, a lot of times there's a concern for the afterlife over like the current, like life, Mm -hmm. the current life that's going on right now. Or Mm -hmm. for instance, like personal piety, uh, like this call to, you know, one time I was in college and, this girl came up to me and she was like, Hey, or not, I guess she didn't come up to me. I think we were sitting at lunch or something, but she was just talking and she was like, Hey, going on a date today. And I was like, Oh, nice. That's, that's really cool. Like, who are you going on a date with? And then she's like, she's like, I'm going on a date with Jesus. Like totally straight face. (laughs) I know it was just like, (sighs) anyway. So just that, like not things you hear on a Christian college campus. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, and if you're on a date with Jesus right now, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. We ruined your date. Maybe you're driving home from it. Make sure to leave room for the Holy Spirit. Anyway. Anyway, just the idea of like this, like, not that there's anything wrong with personal relationship with Jesus and stuff. That's great. And he does care about each one of us, which is crazy, but he does. But a, an overemphasis on that part of the faith versus like the collective justice and like the, I guess, like social action that we see permeating throughout the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So essentially the educational system supports, I guess I would say the, the biases that the, like the white church specifically has already because that's, that's where it comes from. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's just one, like, I guess critique I would have of like the Christian worldview itself is like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think my Christian worldview would differ wildly from what it was when I was 18 coming out of, you know, a white suburban church into, uh, you know, a institution that has primarily white undergraduate students at it, Mm -hmm. a Christian institution. So yeah, I mean, I mean that's all. Well, I... that's the problem with that bifurcation of, of the phrase Christian college, right? So you've got the Christian aspect of it, and then you got the college mm. aspect of it. The college aspect is is all geared towards, um, yeah, forming that that intellect, mm. uh, forming skills or abilities that you can take to the workplace after college. But then the Christian aspect of it concentrates on personal piety, mm. uh, personal. Um, yeah, growth, sanctification, what, what, whatever language you want to use, um, and and rarely does the does the that personal piety aspect of it have any physical outworkings mm. uh, right. into the real world. And again, that's not to say that you know sanctification, like personal sanctification, isn't right. needed. It's it's something we should aim for right that's fine yeah i'd say so too but the fact that it stays there instead of um being acted out in the right. real world i think is what we're saying is is problematic in in the traditional model of christian higher education mm. yeah i think sometimes so obviously you know most of our listeners if not all probably are not college administrators um so you might be wondering you know how am i how am i going to change this in any way um and i think that there are ways that you can essentially you know develop critical thinking develop as a student within the current kind of collegiate structure uh and so we'll do a quick five by five on that one two three four five five by five now it's time for a five by five the part of the show where our enneagram type five that's me gives us five facts, aspects, or tidbits that informs or connects with our conversation in a potentially surprising way. Uh, So first off, uh, I think you just need to consider how those who'd hold the opposite view from what you're being taught would argue. 
Um, so, I mean, this is just a good practice in empathy just in life. So, I mean, that's part of it. If we're talking about developing, you know, good, good Christians, I guess. <laughs> good Christians. Is this 1965? <laughs> anyway, but, uh, yeah, I think it's just a good practice in empathy to ask, you know, for instance, if you're being taught, you know, a certain way of viewing the Bible, and obviously there are other, other ways to view it is to ask the question, you know, what is that other person experience to make them think differently um, and to, you know, make them hold a certain different view. So I think that's huge is ask that question. Uh, number two, I would say ask professors for extended bibliographies. So the good professors just give you these up front in their syllabi. Um, but sometimes the younger professors I have found don't always do that. So just ask who they're reading, and that's huge. Um, if you really want to get to the, you know, if you think your professor's wonderfully brilliant, um, you know, go read who they're reading, because obviously they're they're just like anyone else. They're learning from someone too. Uh, number three is I would say challenge professors. So this is controversial because nobody wants to be that <laughs> that student who's always trying to push back on the professor. But I think there's a good way to do it without being that stubborn student who's you know being being crazy and I, what i do is it's not i'm not trying to get into an ego battle with the professor to try to you know fight them on their view but a lot of times i just want to know what they think about you know this other view that exists that maybe even another faculty member holds on the same staff uh so you can just raise it as hey you know what if like what if someone were to say this you know what i'm saying there's a there's a way to do it that isn't or doesn't uh, entail getting in an ego battle with, with your professor. Uh, number four is really easy, and I just started doing this in grad school, and it turns out it's really helpful. It's just to take notes on your readings. Um, I just basically, what I do is I do it electronically, so I just, if I find a point that's particularly poignant, I just write it down and write what page it's on, and then I have like basically the main points in a nice little note sheet, so that's really helpful. And then lastly, number five is just bring your education or your classes with you everywhere so just have conversations outside of you know your specific classmates i mean that was one of the most i guess enriching thing i think about my education education is just having late night conversations with friends even conversations with mm -hmm. family members i mean the only way to sharpen ideas is to test them against other ideas um so that's I mean, that's what you got to do. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I think those are five relatively implementable, relatively practical ways to, uh, yeah, to actually become like a critically thinking person versus just, you know, absorbing what is being taught to you. Um, yeah. I think it's time to reconsider or maybe rethink what the university does. Um, mm. I think one, <laughs> one major way to rethink this whole university or college thing is that um, the university or college can't be just an information dump. Mm. Um, and I think the, the current pandemic has kind of shown that this is um, this is something implicit in in higher education or what people look for in a, in a college education. Uh, I mean, when schools, what was it, in, in probably in March or April um, of this year, started shutting down and sending students home, as they came towards the, you know, towards graduation time or um, in, into May, people started suing larger universities that's yeah, um, wild. Basically <laughs> saying like this is not the college experience I paid for. You're right. not reimbursing me the money back. I'm I want my money back. That sort of thing. I mean, that... and colleges had their own different approaches, but that right. was wild. Yeah, I mean, it it kind of to me that raises a question: is like, what are you going to college for? Is it just like mm -hmm. a you know a four year little vacation where you can have a gym and a pool and right? You know all these. Things. independence and yeah just be wild for four years not that not that that's the only reason you know obviously there is some aspect of the college experience and living with you know friends and that kind of thing is really fun. sure 
but that's but, the yeah. point that I'm getting at, though, right? It, it, it betrays the fact that people are looking for more than just right. information Purely. dispensed to them. Right, yeah. Clearly, sure. there's something beyond that that they're looking for, and, and they value it enough to sue the school <laughs> right. over. Right, yeah, that's wild, yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, so I think one thing that we have to be clear on, then, given the what has been made clear that used to be implicit... Um, is that the university shapes not just the mind, but um, but something beyond that, and I think mm. it shapes the heart, mm. um, the the emotions, as James um, James K A James K A Smith would say. Um, Smith is a philosophical theologian. I think he's at Calvin College. Mm. Yeah, he's at Calvin College. Nice. Um, and uh, he's written a basically a trilogy of books about what he calls cultural liturgies, formative practices. Um, And uh, the first of the three books is Desiring the Kingdom. And it's primarily geared towards Christian higher education, Hmm. but he expands that work to to this idea of human anthropology. What do we think humans are? um, Hmm. um, Largely. Hmm. Um, And so he makes a claim that we are primarily feeling creatures, not thinking creatures. Hmm. And that language primarily is something that he um, he makes certain is clear because he's not saying that we are not thinking creatures. He's not saying that we are only feeling creatures. It's first and foremost, we are feeling creatures um, and not first thinking creatures. Hmm. So he is moving the concentration from the head to a lower space, the heart, or, um, you know, in biblical terms, the gut of mm. a human being, mm. um, the, the seat of emotions and, and drives and, and right. affections. Right. And, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Cause yeah, I think I, I don't know as much as you do on this, but yeah, I think I remember like him talking about like what really motivates people it's not like you know perfect logic thought out it's like what you love like that's like what you like what you desire mm-hmm. is what motivates you versus like you know what your what logically makes sense i guess is that right mm-hmm. yeah so basically his uh, he makes a claim later on in, in other books but basically we worship what we love Right and and as human beings, we we love first, and we and and after that we think. Mm-hmm. Like for example, uh, let's just bring it to a very to to a, a space where we're, we're both familiar with, like Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right, it's for God so loved the world, and obviously that it goes beyond an emotional thing, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a set of treatises that were passed down to humanity mm-hmm. and say and it wasn't like god saying because of this 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 and this point a point point b point c therefore Mm. love and worship me it was i have loved you and and we're called to reciprocate that love and out of that that uh out of that love that we have for god we act in certain ways Mm. that's that's really what smith is is getting at it's it's that we we don't lay aside intellect but first and foremost, we feel first. Mm. Um, and so he, um, in, in the introduction of the, of the book, he says uh, this, and it's particularly about uh, Christian higher education or education in general, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, he says this, quote, An education, then, is a constellation of practices, rituals, and routines that inculcates a particular vision of the good life by inscribing or infusing that vision into the heart, the gut, by means of material embodied practice. Right. And he uses those those terms, uh, practice, rituals, uh, vision of the good life, that sort of thing, right. all throughout the book. And, and basically, he's saying that a, a school, you know, the entire school, so faculty, facility, the practices, how the school is run, all of those things, that forms a person's uh, affections, their their love, their desires 
towards a certain idea of of the good life. Mm. And and a school, whether they are explicit with it or not, and I think I think it's a little bit. I think it's usually implicit, mm. um, but they offer a vision of the good life, and that's mm. why they offer that kind of education mm. that they do. Right. It's kind of like the culture of the school. Yeah. Because I mean, that's kind of what culture does. Is it? Do, it might not. Sometimes it does explicitly state it, but it might not explicitly right. state it. But it does imply, you know, this is this is the good life. This is what, you know, this is what you want essentially. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, you've read more about this. I've read a a little bit. What, but one of the illustrations that stands out to me from his book, desiring the kingdom is essentially the mall as a, Mm. like as a, uh, a liturgy basically. And you go in and there's people, there's priests quote unquote, who are calling you into their stalls to offer sacrifices, to take artifacts, Um, and obviously referring to just, you know, going in and buying products. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's all there. You go there, there's, there's smells, there's sights, there's a merry-go-round, there's, you know, pizza and Chinese food and all these, you know, it's, (laughs) everything is there. And it's like this big conglomeration Mm -hmm. of, of sensory, you know, input. Um, yeah. And be like carrying with that analogy it's they've got mannequins they've got advertisements Mm. all pointing towards an idea of what a good life is Mm. yeah and so it's not saying hey that you should buy these things because it'll make you happy it's showing you the happiness that you could get Mm. by buying these Mm. things so it's a little bit a little bit more subversive in that way and he's essentially equating the ethos of a school to that sort of same idea. Right. Um, And so like, for example, a school will tout that they have a certain, you know, job placement rate Mm. after graduation. Right. Well, what does that tell you? Not that the school is going to give you marketable skills, but that, that the, that the, the good life is tied to having a secure, um, secure means of income. Right. So that you can, have financial stability or whatever that might look like. So that's the school's idea of a good life. So everything that they do is going to be centered around that. It's not going to be explicitly stated, but the way they do classes, the way they, they set up their buildings, what activities they, they, they allow on campus, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's all going to be geared towards that end goal, towards that vision of the good life. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to see, you know, kind of, I guess the vision of what you're of potentially where we're going, which is, okay, so how can Christian schools, it seems like Christian institutions kind of just proliferate already the good life that's there, but kind of with some Christian, you know, some Christian head mm-hmm. nods thrown in there and, you know, send them off. Hopefully, hopefully they'll be good. And I guess my question, which maybe is ridiculous, but my question is how do you not, I guess, how do you do it well without being weird? Cause I feel like sometimes, I don't know. Sometimes Christian schools can be like, you don't want to be weirdly isolationist, but you don't just want to keep uh, saying the exact same thing that the culture is saying. So it's like, what part Mm -hmm. of the culture is okay to bring in, you know what I'm saying? To the, to the university and how it runs. And then in what way should it be different? I guess. No, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a good question. Well, one thing to keep in mind is that that in some respects Christian universities aren't that dissimilar to their secular counterparts Mm -hmm. right because like I said earlier even secular universities they're not just interested in in giving people knowledge or skills but knowledge or skills towards a particular end towards Mm -hmm. a certain idea of the good life and it's the same thing with Christian schools Mm -hmm. so a Christian school can 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 tout the same graduation job placement stats Mm -hmm. but i think the issue is as i said earlier a lot of this stuff of forming the heart and heart first and then the mind comes at an implicit level Mm. so you're not gonna get you're not gonna get it 
explicitly in the in the coursework. Right, right. It's not like you're studying engineering and then you take a break in the middle of the class to talk about the marvels of of divine engineering right, right in, yeah. in nature sort of thing that's that's i think what you were saying is like right. th that gets weird right yeah exactly. right but it, it it comes in yeah and, and again i'm not a school i'm not higher up right. you know school administrator but it, it it becomes more of an implicit a more mm. i don't want to say subversive thing mm -hmm. but it, it's it's more subtle than right um than than we think it is and like maybe what the university celebrates or even like how it right how it structures yeah I don't know, itself yeah what what uh how does it get involved in in the community for right. example so that's not that's not necessarily within the university itself mm -hmm. but how is it how is it seen in the community in mm -hmm. which it's placed how does it interact with mm -hmm. other organizations or other mm -hmm. schools mm -hmm. uh, in its division or whatever right again it's it's a little bit more yeah for me it's be, ironically it's become more clear to me that it's subtle mm, and yeah. implicit right 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 no that makes sense yeah so i think given that i think a valid question to ask is whether or not secular universities can increase one's affection for god in mm. a way that christian universities can't mm. Because I think that's the, again, going back to, to our introduction, right? The fear of Christian leaders is that a student's affections for God will drop when they go to a college. And so let's keep them in a Christian college so that mm. their affections can uh, can remain. Right, continue. I mean, But I... maybe a secular school can still foster right. that affection. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of comes down to the question of like like what is your faith and what is your faith built on um i mean so for me if if my faith is built on the scientific belief that the earth was created in six days i mean i walk into a you know a biology class or a you know whatever i don't know where do you learn evolution i don't know earth science either way i walk into that class and the professor runs circles around me and i try to stand up and i just get owned by actual hard science. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then it's like, oh, I just look stupid. Like the Christian ideology made me look stupid. But if it's not like about that, which I would say is like, you know, I guess more related to the kind of like the traditional Christian values we talked about earlier in the episode. You know, if it's not about like those, I guess like the intellectual foundation of Christianity, um, which I think I think Christianity is just as can be just as intellectually defended as anything else as atheism as mm. you know what I'm saying like mm -hmm. if you really want a smart person can figure out a way to you know make it at least logical um, but I think yeah I mean I think it comes down to kind of what you're saying with James K Smith we're not primarily thinking creatures so if your faith is built primarily on your brain and like that's you know that's just what it is I mean I think that that could potentially get torn down by secular institutions and perhaps it should but i guess if it's deeper than that and it's more of a gut you know desire and love for christ mm -hmm. for community for the other uh for the outcast then i mean that's when i think i mean a secular institution that i mean there's nothing that can really touch that i guess because i think that's yeah. like what like true faith is you know what i'm saying right yeah i think i mean I think it's contextual. Some people thrive in a in a Christian college campus in a way that they wouldn't in a secular university, mm. and the and the opposite is the same. Mm. For some people, it it's that it's that immersion in church away from church that can maybe sometimes be stifling to their faith. Right. Whereas a a secular school where they are um where they're forced to seek deeper answers not just mm. surface level solutions mm. to their big questions in life those are the types of things that's that type of an of environment that brings them closer to god mm. i think there's a myth that the secular school attacks faith mm. attacks 
Christians. Yeah. I mean, I spent a year at a secular school before transferring to, to Moody Bible Institute. I didn't feel attacked for mm-hmm. my faith at all. Right. And before that, I went to a school that was a, it was a, it was a boarding school, but it was essentially a, it was essentially a college campus. Right. Uh, like a prep, the, prep the, school, right? Yeah. 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 And, and it reminded me very much of that, that, uh, that secular university I went to for a year. Yeah. Looking back at it, I never felt attacked for my faith there. Mm-hmm. I think there's a myth that secular universities and, and faculty are attacking people of faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a class my freshman year of college where people from different faith groups talked about their faith and it was this was led by an atheist hmm. professor yeah never once felt attacked for my beliefs right, there right so i think that's a that's a that's a misconstrual of of what a university education does and i think barna actually right. cited that as one of the myths of a secular higher education mm. experience yeah i mean i think that goes back to the church's kind of isolationism and like defensiveness i guess to me sometimes i see specifically the white church as it, ha- it had a lot of i guess like, i don't know if clout's the right word but it had a lot of uh i guess power or it had it had a lot of sway you know what i mean uh but like that's been like declining not even like the church itself hasn't necessarily been declining like worldwide but like the white church in america has been declining and i think part of that is when something's declining that you know used to give you a certain social uh I guess social capital obviously you're going to be defensive when that thing starts declining and now all of a sudden everything is attacking us when yeah it might just be more the feeling of a loss of of power versus you know actually people attacking Mm -hmm. maybe that's a good spot to to take a break at and and kind of think through a little bit before moving forward considering what the university does at the end of the day it's not just a matter of what we're learning but how we're learning it Um, so going back to to smith's work his idea is that cultural liturgies for example like going to the mall forms a certain idea uh, forms our affections for a certain vision of the good life Mm. right so it's the same thing with with a college so those cultural liturgies those physical embodied practices as he calls them are what i'm saying is the how we are learning it mm. not just the what we're learning mm. so for example online programs uh, fully online programs and that's been a discussion ever since online programs first came out mm. first the quality wasn't there and um, thankfully, the the quality of online education has risen, but there's still a a fear yeah. um, for a lot of students that they're they're missing something with an online education, mm. and especially now in light of the pandemic, it's forcing schools to reconsider what an online education is. So it right. can't just be again an information dump. Right. But there's something formative there um, that you that that you get while you're sitting under a professor's teaching that right. you won't get by just reading materials and then submitting papers. Hmm. So that's one very real way in which we can see that reconsidering of, of not just what we're learning, but how we're learning it. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see how schools, um, yeah, move forward in, right. in light of all that's the new normal that's been happening. Yeah. Yeah. Moving to a close here, I think one thing to keep in mind is what um, what we think of when we think of a, a Christian university. So mm. I think the Christian university is a space for um, 
deconstruction and reconstruction, not only fortifying already existing belief structures. Mm. So, I mean, these concepts are, these ideas are something that we talked about in our Beyond Ideological Doubt episode. Mm. And I think a, a higher education institution is the main context in which a lot of this ideological deconstruction, reconstruction yeah. happens. Yeah. And I think Christian schools um, in particular are well-suited if they approach <laughs> mm. um, ed, you know, Christian education um, correctly. Um, I think they're, they're particularly suited for that type of process. Right. Yeah, I think because so. Because the goal is to form a particular person. Right. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, kind of the the metaphor that I think of is like a house of cards, let's say. And like, you know, as you're growing up, you, you know, you gain a certain a certain Christian worldview if you grew up in the church. Um and I think I think instead of just building more cards on the house like on the house of cards that's been built by your childhood. I mean, I think if the if the Christian university is doing well, it's not afraid to shake the foundation that the house is on. You know what I mean? And say, okay, let's like some of this is good, but let's let's think about what we need to pull away so that we can build, I guess, your own faith and faith that is more uh, able and versatile in the able to engage and versatile in the twenty first century. I think that's mm. part of it. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's like the metaphor that I have, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah. I think at its yeah. best, it can do that. Yeah. Maybe let's close with like, if we were in a room with our younger selves, so <laughs> Reichert and Lucas yes. eight years ago, or well, I guess maybe nine or 10 years ago as we we're juniors and seniors considering schools. Wow. Yes. What would we tell our younger selves? Wow. In light of this conversation. Little 17-year-old Luke. <laughs> yeah, little Riker trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. <laughs> yeah. Man. I think if, man, if I was in a conversation with myself, one, I guess I'd sum it up with, in terms of looking at schools, don't just ask yourself what you'll get out of the school, mm. but how you will come out of it. Mm. And I know that this is not, the way I thought when I was in high school, I was very much only concerned with, you know, yeah. What kind of programs do they offer? Where did their graduates go? What opportunities uh, is it, is this school going to open up for me? That sort of thing. But I think I would have maybe chosen schools differently or at least approached the schools I did go to differently if i asked myself how am i gonna come out of it at the end of my Mm. four-year degree here yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i mean for me there's there's a lot of things i i wish i had somebody to to just give me things straight when i was you know 17 and 18 um but yeah i mean there's tons of just uh like logistical things like like shopping around for schools, looking for accelerated programs that just save time and money. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that are like that. I would tell them to look for, like, research what faculty in your, you know, in your field are actually solid. Because faculty, a lot of times, is kind of the thing that impacts your studies the most a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, like, the main, I guess, the main philosophy I would, I would tell him is that for one, it's just, it's okay to make money. I think in growing up, I had a little bit of a poverty gospel type thing. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that would kind of be, I guess, one thing I would say. And the other would just be that you can still be a worthwhile asset to God's kingdom, uh, you know, without picking a specific vocation, like for instance, being a pastor or a missionary or something mm-hmm. like that. I think yeah. that's, that's kind of what I thought coming out of the gate. Um, and not to diminish people's call to ministry. Cause I, I think I had a genuine call to ministry. I don't know what that looks like, but, um, but also just knowing that you can be a very solid Christian and, you know, not be a pastor. Um, I think yeah. it's just something that people need to hear. 
we were we were both at a conference where Sky Jathani, who's uh, it's like a Christian author, podcast host, uh, uh, where he spoke, and basically he tells a story of when he met a like a college student who was I think studying like brain surgery or heart surgery or something like that, a surgeon. And basically the kid was like, hey, I mean, the world doesn't need another surgeon. I should, you know, do ministry. And Sky was basically like, well, if my, you know, if I need surgery, I do need a surgeon. <laughs> like, that's what I need, not a pastor, you know, at that moment. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways to to benefit God's kingdom that don't necessarily require you to go into, you know, vocational ministry. Um, mm-hmm. If that's your call, that's great. But also yeah. there's other ways as well. Um yeah. 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 I think barring a very clear call to to a, a major life transition like changing schools or majors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Man, a, a call to ministry doesn't necessarily mean a complete halt or change in educational goals. Mm. For example. Because again that's placing I think it's placing discipleship and education on the shoulders of of a school mm-hmm. rather than where it should primarily be which is the church mm-hmm. so i wonder for me like when i felt the call to ministry and this is very christian language right the, mm-hmm. the whole call to right, ministry right. particularly uh, a particularly strong idea that that maybe this is i should be serving in some capacity um within the church or parachurch organization what have you when that when I came into that season of life, the only option for me was to go to Bible college to some sort of ministry training school. It never dawned on me to seek further discipleship and training from pastors right. at my church. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I made the wrong decision mm-hmm. in coming to Moody, um, but but I wonder how it would have turned out. If I had stayed at the same school I was before, but had gotten training and education and the ministerial side of things from my local church, mm. for example. Right. Yeah, I mean, hey, I think that might be an, a good topic for a, a different podcast here coming up, just talking about church and how it functions. Because, yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really is, is what's the responsibility of the school? What's the responsibility of the church? Um Obviously, the school should, I guess, a Christian institution of higher education should, I think it should be informed by, uh, you know, the church. Um, But also, you know, it's not the end all be all um, for forming a good Christian. Here we are with the 1965, (laughs) you know, (laughs) language. But you know what I'm saying? Forming someone who has a good, uh, I guess, solid understanding of the faith and is able to I guess project that into the world and you know you know engage with with modern society in a way that's actually helpful yeah well great well yeah I think that's a good good uh, good spot to end mm. well thank you for for listening everybody mm-hmm. yeah uh, if you'd like to support us financially uh, you can always do that on patreon uh, at uh, just patreon.com slash questions from the pew Um, And if you can't support us financially, please feel free to give us a rating on iTunes uh, or whatever platform you're listening on. And that just helps others to to find our podcast. So we really appreciate it. Also, please comment and ask questions. Leave us a short voice message or even a text message at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For questions from the pew, I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Bye.